What about doggy do's and doggy don'ts? Doggy wills and doggy won'ts. They're doing the doggy bounce. Have any grapes? <laughs> wow. This is very I'm like, day. am I on acid? Yes, you are. yes, you're on acid. And everyone who has kids who are five yeah. and seven are also on acid because those are all their favorite songs. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> And the uh, the playlist is called Mom's Annoyed Playlist. Mm, and wow. then when, when we that listen to fun. the playlist, <laughs> I can't even disassociate because they're like, act annoyed, act annoyed. And I'm like, they want you to act they annoyed. Want me to act annoyed. Oh my God, what monsters? Yeah, they're fucking monsters. Seriously. <laughs> like, how dare they? It's like, really. It's so rude. <laughs> they have incredible instincts for psychological torture. Yeah. Which I don't know what that says about human I beings mean... in general or my parenting specifically. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, good genes. Or, yeah, or my genes. <laughs> Welcome to Mistakes Were Made, a podcast about non-monogamy for messy people like us. I'm Sarah, a queer therapist, writer, journalist, and maker of kids' playlists that will absolutely melt your face off. They're so annoying. Wow. And I'm her husband, Alex, a communication professional, university educator, and listener of those playlists whose (laughs) face has melted off. The face of the playlist melted off? No, my face. Your face. Yeah. Stop. Isn't that what you meant? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. And I'm Jessica, podcast producer here, resident monogamist. Um, and I'm scared of these playlists. It's like, I want to listen, but I, I don't want my face to melt off. I don't know. And you will wake up with these songs in your head. Oh, God. You will. Um, possibly every single day for the rest of my life. I may have just broken my brain with them. <laughs> Well, don't worry, everyone. Can we put them in the show notes? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's probably going to be like the most popular thing you yeah. ever did is That's this playlist. how we're finally going to get the uh-huh. hits uh-huh. we've been looking for. It. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Today, we are talking about kids' playlists. No. Today, we are talking about mostly my anxieties about aging, uh, specifically as a woman, which I promise I'm going to make relevant mm-hmm. to this podcast, I swear. Uh, I turned 43 last month, and you know how there's, like, certain birthdays that just really sock you in the face? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember, hmm, I think 34 mm, did that yeah. to me, too. Mm. I think I got socked in the face at 34. You were really old then. <laughs> God damn it. I think 18 <laughs> fucked with me, honestly. 18 mm. fucked with I you. I was like, I gotta quit mm. smoking now. <laughs> How's that going? Uh, bad. <laughs> I mean, totally great. I haven't smoked since I was 17. What, what birthday spoke you up, Jessica? God. Wow. I mean, and I, re- I mean, I remember like as a small child, like feeling very wistful when I turned seven, you know, and being oh. like, I'm never going to be six again. I forgot. I got messed up by 10 mm, because I was double digits. And then I realized that unless I was like in a really rare demographic of people who lived to a hundred, I would only ever be in double digits until I died. Right? You'd never add another digit. Yes. I would never oh add another God. digit. That was crazy. Hmm. And like we were around that age, I think, when the Hale Bob comic came. That's right. <laughs> they are like, oh, no. oh my God, if it I don't see it Haley's, now. Haley's comic. Haley's comic. Hale Bob oh, was Hale the Bob one that took later. the people to the cult. 
I mean, the, the cult people were trying to kill themselves and get onto. Oh, shit. Okay. Anyway. Hey, listen yeah. to my side podcast about Comet. Which is funny so, because Comet is actually a term in non-monogamy. Oh, oh yeah. Really? yeah. It is. What's a Comet in a, non-monogamy? A Comet is, Comet is, I think, the idea of a person that kind of like shoots through the sky and is brief and intense. <laughs> no. No? Wait, what? Yeah. It's a person, no, it's a person who uh, is in town sometimes. Oh. But not all the time. Like, so then when they're I in visit town. for work, I visit Seattle for work every six months, <laughs> and that's what a comment is. <laughs> they shoot through the, did you mean like literally shoot through I the sky? Metaphorically shoot Jesus through the Jesus Christ. <laughs> Really if anybody's like looking to be on a podcast about non-monogamy, I'm shopping for <laughs> qualified <laughs> co-hosts. I love the idea that I'm like, yeah, that's totally a subset of non-monogamy. Uh, People who shoot through the sky. <laughs> you didn't know yeah, about that? Yeah. Loser. Wow. I would say your standards are overly high, Sarah. Okay, so. Okay, so someone who comes to town every 86 years? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> Uh-huh. This is appropriate that we're talking about aging. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, 43. I'm trying to figure out how that would even be legal with, you know. <laughs> well, if you're the same if age. You were 18 when you first got together, and then. 86 years later. 86 well, years if you're later. both 15 yeah. when you first get okay. together, it yeah, would be fine. Yeah, that's true. It is legal. All right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's write it in here. Go ahead, Sarah. 43 was a tough birthday for you, is what you're saying. It was a tough birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it's like I have a kind of mini existential crisis every birthday, yeah. and I have a tiny mini existential crisis every day. Um, every morning. Every morning when I wake up. So, you know, this is all a spectrum of existential dread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but 43 really did. The volume got turned way up. And I think part of that, as some of you know, we lost a friend of ours in November. And so I think, like, just issues of aging and the passage of time and the inevitability of death are all, like, really um, front of mind. Uh, but also... Um, I feel like in the last couple of years, I've really started receiving like more and more unsolicited advice slash warnings about what the experience of being an older woman is going to be. Thanks, mom. Um, (laughs) But, and not just from, you know, my mom, who that's definitely one of her favorite conversation topics, but from a lot of people in the world that this idea that like looming in front of me are some really, really bad decades. Mm. Um, And I think, like, that feels kind of, like, culturally reinforced in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Um, And maybe as I emerge from, like, the really little kid years, you know, the kids are now five and seven. With our kids, yeah. um, So it's not like I'm in the throes of tiny Uh children and sort of, like, reproduction and the making and caring (laughs) of babies. And... (laughs) The erasure of your autonomous womanhood in, right. in that context. Right. I also had a crisis about that. Yeah. Um, so don't worry. Um, you know, it, it has all converged to just be making me feel um, pretty, pretty anxious and worried about all of that. And how, how does that intersect with non-monogamy? Alex, why are we talking about that on a podcast about non-monogamy? I mean, I think that uh, just being non-monogamous... Uh, maybe, maybe I should say doing anything (laughs) 
at this the age that we're at in our your early 40s you kind of think about the sustainability and longevity of that and like am right. i still going to be doing this it, it does feel like you will be very different in your 50s and you'll be very you know i guess i guess that's always true but like uh thinking about the future of non-monogamy as we age um you know there's anxieties that come along with that um and uh generally speaking i think also because it's sort of like a sexually oriented thing and the like sex lives of older people are kind of um invisibilized or whatever uh it's a weird thing to think about right like even for me like i invisibilize people in their 50s or 60s sex lives so it's weird for me to be like when i'm 50 or 60 i'm still going to be non-monogamous what is that going to mean You know, it makes me think about how there's a way that this is done at every age. I'm just going to totally put Dave Eggers on blast. Mm. (laughs) I remember reading uh, a heartbreaking work of Staggering Genius back when it was like the book to read. Uh I would have been in my 2001 or very, very early 20s. And in that book, he has a relationship with a woman who is a mother who is 30. And that is presented as just like this absolutely wild and he's supposed to be in his 20s he's in his 20s Uh book worthy topic and the line that i most remember and i'm i'm gonna butcher it but we can look it up the line i remember is that he was lived in terror of taking off her clothes and seeing her body he imagined (gasps) that her body would just be decrepit because she was in her 30s and a mother and that he was pleasantly surprised (laughs) When she got naked and that wasn't the case. Oh my God. He thought, he, he thought she was just going to crumble to dust like a, a mummy or something. Right. Wow. So. That's amazing. You know, um, it's, it's interesting to think about how this is present and sort yeah. of like absurdly present at all ages. And also to think of myself reading that at 20 and having probably zero analysis of the kind of. Like well, it sounds like it stuck with you. I mean, I bet you were on some level thinking about being I'm her. Like, Whoa, I bet I you were more identifying. That's what people are going to think of me. Yeah, and you were probably more identifying with the woman in that mm-hmm. situation Definitely. than your fellow twenty-something. Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there are anxieties that come along with that. For me, it's probably sort of like, um, just like you know, older men's sexuality. There's kind of like the dirty old man cliche mm-hmm. um, that certainly exists for me. What about for you? I mean, mine is, I think the pairing of that is the invisible old woman. Yeah. Um, Just the idea that as I grow older, it's going to be harder and harder for me to, like, fight to be visible and relevant. Um, And I think, you know, patriarchy and misogyny, they tell us that women's cultural capital is mostly reproductive and men's is mostly economic. And so... In that framework, mine begins to decline right as yours is on the rise. Um, and I think that just really hit home for me here recently in a way it never had before and really, like, spiked some of my fears. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, there was, I think, something that you said in the last episode or the, the one before that you told me had been sort of the most, the, the thing in this entire podcast series that has most been quoted back to you where you were talking about, you said something about they're all so young and pretty yeah. um, about the people that I was dating or might potentially be dating. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That line has been 
um, repeated back to me a number of times since that episode aired, which I think was in the Why Don't You Just Stop, um, mm-hmm. where I was just like feeling activated and scared, and I was like, why are they all so young and pretty? And I feel like this is now my catchphrase. <laughs> like, God damn it. <laughs> but I have heard it a lot, and I think I'm, my hope is that uh, it's because it struck a chord with people. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's like, I, I think in non-monogamy, we, there's a temptation to be really utopian about it. Um, and I think that like some of that temptation comes from it being a taboo, less represented, marginalized way of living. Um, mm-hmm. And so you don't want to show its flaws potentially. Um, but part of that is really just because it's exciting to think of being able to relate to people and yourself and sex and sexuality and desire and all of this in new ways and potentially new ways yeah. that are like less painful or harmful. And like they're, you know, breaking a, a boundaries or doing something off script, like can feel about, feel like it's about freedom or like liberation. Exactly. Um, but then I think the kind of shadow side of that is it can feel like you're not supposed to, still feel those like harms and fears right like now that you've entered Mm. into this like liberated space you're supposed to then be liberated from all of those things and i think like there is a real yeah there's a lot of double-edged swords going on there because at the same time you have a lot of people saying again mom um (laughs) that you have relinquished the few things that were available for your to protect you mm-hmm. in a mm. world that wants to do you mm. harm and that monogamy flawed as it may be is one of the tools to potentially protect you, right. you know? So there's a lot going on there. And I think I can get really twisted up and feel like I am somehow supposed to transcend it all. And spoiler, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, it's interesting. This is just making me think that like in my marriage, I mean, obviously we're in a different situation cause we're, monogamous but we also just like because Curtis is disabled and not working we're like economically our roles are reversed from like you know this sort of like yeah hetero paradigm that we're and talking about right now you, where your relationship started right? what's that and from and yeah. where they were when you were right totally started. totally when we first was got together <laughs> it's like you know working as a senior software engineer at a tech startup um and I was barely scraping it together graduating from grad school um but it's interesting that like so a lot of the variable we can have like a control sort of for some of the things that despite the fact that all of those things are different for us like the i'm just experiencing so many of the same things related to aging Mm. and i find myself just constantly i think like my go-to is i'm just always trying to like look for examples of women who are like my age or older than me, but are not fulfilling that stereotype of the washed up old dish rag or Or someone who's just like very angry and resigned to, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. decades of disappearing. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think about Beyonce a lot. She's (laughs) our same age. No way. Yes, she is. Well, she's six months younger than me. Oh, okay. Well, a, so a baby come then. on, a baby. Yes, I'm all like, what's her sign? Yeah, <laughs> I think she's a Virgo. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, so 
Yeah, that, it's interesting. <laughs> so Beyonce. So Beyonce. Beyonce. We'll all be fine because yeah, Beyonce, Beyonce is Beyonce. incredible. Yeah. She, she's got at least 10 more good years. <laughs> oh my <in> God. <laughs> well, and then to that point, like how exceptional do the examples have to be? Right? Mm. I mean, there are mm. not right. enough of them mm. that like our go-to would be Beyonce. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, because it, it's really... Right, whereas every man who was famous when he was 20 is still famous when he's 40. Mm. Unless something went terribly wrong. Right, right. and that would absolutely yeah. expect to be on an upward trajectory of yep. fame and economic success and cultural power until into his 60s. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that happens, I mean, 20 years later. Yeah. So that's a pretty big chasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's pretty scary. So, I guess stepping back from that for just a minute, um, all of this got us thinking about this larger theme of how inequities and um, and oppressive systems not only can show up in non-monogamy, but can sometimes be emphasized or multiplied by it. And I think that feels right. kind of taboo to say, but I think if we don't say it and if we aren't willing to explore it, then we're not doing what I, I hope we're doing, right. both with non-monogamy and on this podcast. So, like, no matter how much we like to think about non-monogamy as, like, some sort of expression of freedom or exercise in liberation, in fact, the very same inequities that exist, you know, in monogamy or in society at large uh, also show up there. Are present is, here. Which is, like, duh. But also, <laughs> uh, and that's where we'll be ending the podcast. Yeah, no, right. No, but also it's worth talking, like you're saying, it's worth talking about and exploring, like, how is it different? How is it the same? How does it show up? Right. You know, and and how, how can we, I don't know, at least try to acknowledge it or. Be accountable to it. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think if we're talking about liberation of any kind, accountability is a key part of that. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, we found the formula mm-hmm. where we now just get to like go skipping off into the sunset and never have to think about anything hard again. Which is tough because I kind of got into non-monogamy <laughs> to avoid accountability. I know, honey. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Me too. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> seriously, I swear, we're kidding. Uh, <laughs> if anybody listening to this is like, yeah. Non-monogamy is really about escaping accountability. You got another thing coming. Just like, yeah, it's mostly accountability. And also, I mean, this larger idea, I think about this a lot as a therapist, that we we are not solving problems here. Mm. There's not like a therapeutic modality or a way of living or a way of having relationships where you're like, and through doing this, we have now solved the problem. Problems of racism, sexism, right. classism, and the human condition. Yeah. Like, all of these things are actually just tools for us to hopefully examine those things in ways that are more helpful, thoughtful, connective, and accountable. Yeah. But, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> with that in mind, <laughs> things like race, class, sexuality, uh, size, body size, mm-hmm. all of these things are on our radar for exploring this idea of how inequities can show up in non-monogamy. And we're going to think of this as kind of an informal series where we explore that. Um, for the purposes of today's episode, we're really focusing on gender and age within the specific context of cis-het relationships. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Maybe not just 
there'll be queerness will show up. I think in the way that we talk about this somewhat, but yes, queerness yeah. will show up. But a lot of this is about you and me. Yeah. Um, and Again. you're right. <laughs> I am queer, so our relationship yeah. is also queer. But yeah. our dynamic is very informed by cishet yeah. cultural dynamics. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That, is that enough caveats and feelings yes. for now? Alex, do you want to give us some statistics and well, celebrity gossip? Yeah, let's talk about how this age, uh, gender age disparity stuff kind of shows up in society at large, not just in non-monogamy first. Yes, please. Um, Let's establish the trend. Establish the trend. So I saw um, <laughs> at a funny infographic the other day that was like a chart over time, just basically comparing the ages of the person who's playing James Bond from the beginning and Sean Connery in 1960 or whatever to uh, versus the main love interest, the Bond girl. If you um, will. Of the movie. Yeah. The g- g- girl Turns is out they were the calling operative her girl word. Yeah. They were that all... was the most descriptive term. Yeah. And it <laughs> like it goes, they, the ages go up and down on the infographic, but the distance between James Bond and the girl is usually, you know, 14, I think 14 years was roughly like the average if you plotted it. But James Bond, way older than the ladies that he's dating. Yeah. I think in Goldfinger was the only one where the lady was older. Um I don't even remember who that was. I don't really give a shit about James Bond. It's just a good uh, example of how over a very long course of time, the leading man, the masculine archetype is in his 40s, and the feminine archetype, the leading lady, is in her 20s. 20s. That, like, uh, average, there is that 20-year, give or take, age gap that Mm -hmm. we're talking about here, right? Yeah, okay, Jessica, also, you have some celebrity gossip to add to this as we establish the trend. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just thinking about something that's been going around lately about Leonardo DiCaprio's new girlfriend. And there's been a lot of comparisons made between their age gap and the stars of The Last of Us, who are like a very it's a father daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. But the actors in The Last of Us have the exact same age difference as Leo and his new girlfriend. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. And I, you know, yeah. Alex, what were you going to say? Oh, I don't know. I think I think it's interesting that there's like a, there's a, a broad like cultural acceptability of this and it's like pretty like normal. And then there's like the extremes. When you get to the extremes, like, you know, everybody's kind of like, what is Leo's deal? Right? Like people talk about that. I think when you get to like 20 years or there's the... Um, I don't know if I think it's attributed to being like the French equation where it's like mm-hmm, half your age mm-hmm. plus seven is the youngest uh, appropriate age of younger woman to be dating if you're a man. So I guess for me, it would be what 42 divided by two, 21, 28 or 29. Mm-hmm. Yikes. 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 Yeah. I mean, yeah, but like yikes but also that is a reflection of i think what is considered mm-hmm. sort of acceptable and it's like there's this idea that maybe in some circles it's distasteful but it's not going to be seen as problematic also i'm realizing that that equation is probably just set up to make it so you can be dating it's like younger and younger the people. Oh, right. <laughs> well, right. And this gets into tricky territory quickly, and I don't want to like overanalyze before we like sort of set the stage. But I do want to say that anytime we're in territory where we're judging people's mm. choices in intimate and sexual relationships, 
it's iffy. I don't love it. Yeah. Right. And so I want to say that just like from a personal perspective, uh, as a general rule, I don't like doing that. And I don't think it's a good road to go down. And I think Mm -hmm. like if people are adults and they're in relationships as adults, then you got to trust that they're doing what makes sense for them and um, not not get overly presumptive Mm -hmm. about what is right or wrong there. Yes. Okay, but on the other hand, if it's always true that men are dating younger women, but also that it's not okay for a 25-year-old to be dating a 14-year-old, then what that's going to mean is that uh, there's a disconnect between, like, how many people are single at different ages between men and women. And this came up recently in, mm. uh, the, I think it was a Pew study that found that 63% of men under 30 reported being single, and only 34% of women did. Interesting. Yeah, and I want to go dive mm. into that a little bit, but I also want to say, I think where I do feel comfortable passing some judgment and exploring the ways that like these dynamics are potentially problematic is that these are not equal trends, right? So mm-hmm. if you saw mm-hmm. cultural representation of women dating men who were 20 years younger than them and mm-hmm. they, that was treated in the same way, then I think we'd be having a very different conversation. Mm. I'm going to try to follow that. Well, because I was saying, like, I don't like getting into making judgments about people's oh. personal and intimate choices, romantically or sexually. And so I wanted to talk about, like, why we're here a little bit. And I think, like, one of the really obvious kind of inequities is that this is not a phenomenon that cuts across gender. Oh, yeah, it you're saying, yeah. It flows one yeah, way. Yeah, yes. And right. it flows one way for a reason, yeah. and that reason is problematic. Right. It's and not I think like, like it's just fine to date people who aren't close to your own age. It's just fine for men to date younger women. Yes. Right. And, or like, that is what we're men. talking yeah. about. Like, yeah. why is that yeah. the age difference yeah. or the inequity right. that is most prevalent? How is that problematic? How is it a reflection of problematic values, and how does that make us feel? Yeah. And this Pew study showed that that is totally a thing, right? And, like, even if you can't analyze exactly the relationships and ages that people have, it it does, like, uh, men under 30 saying, you know, 63% of them saying, I'm single, and women of that age group saying, only 34% of them saying they're single. What that probably means is the women are dating older men. Right. Right. Although it's interesting, when I first saw those numbers, I was like, "Uh oh, like those women think that they're in a relationship and the men think that they're single. Oh, (laughs) dang. Yeah, I do think there's some of that is definitely there. And there's like the definition of Mm -hmm. what is a relationship to people. And I think it was, it it did have it as defined by, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like marriage or some sort of commitment Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm sure some of it is that Mm -hmm. um, because if you go up the age scale, um, 17% of women, 30 to 50, said they were single. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Um, it basically did look like, to some extent, yeah, this is true. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so men, once you get to between 30 and 50, 25% of men say they're single. So the number mm. drops massively, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So... Like, they're getting into relationships. Men are getting into relationships after 30 at really high rates. And then women are, when they're 30 to 50, almost all of them are in relationships, which tracks, right? Like, Mm -hmm. reproductive years, like Mm -hmm. you were talking about. Um, 
And then women 65 and up, 40% of them are single. Hmm. Are single. Either the men that they were married to died or... (laughs) Or left <laughs> left them for younger women or whatever, whatever happened. So it it all does all kind of line up that this trend that we see represented culturally is also like you know in fact true. Yeah, 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 and it shows up personally too. Yeah, does it? I'm trying to think like in people that we know. Kind of does. Weirdly, my parents were. My mom's a little older than my dad. She's a year older. Yeah. My parents are five years apart. My dad's five years older. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that as I was growing up, there were a handful of examples of older men who were on their second marriages mm-hmm. or, you know, where it was, there was an easy 10, 12, even sometimes 15 year age difference. And that was rarely commented on. Right. Or it was mm-hmm. just like not mm-hmm. really presented as something that was all that interesting. And I had one aunt who was in a marriage with a man who was 15 years younger than her. Mm. And it was constant discussion Mm -hmm. Uh about how depraved and weird and embarrassing it was Mm -hmm. and how embarrassing it was for her. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's seen as almost like predatory, I feel like, Mm -hmm. when it's an older woman, younger man. Yeah. Yeah. And like that kind of stuff really, that stuck with me. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. like, that's social policing. And people are having those conversations in front of kids for a reason. Whether or not they're fully aware of that reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, back to your comment about sort of just the unfairness or inequality of it, it's like if we saw just an older person being in a relationship with a younger person, if we either saw it both as predatory or both as like a status symbol, this would be a very different conversation, but it's just Mm -hmm. such a double standard. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think like your point about it being reproductive and economic, um, this isn't new. Uh, there's other statistics that like the average marriage age for men and women is a little bit different. The average marriage age for marriage age for men is 30 for women. It's 28, which doesn't seem significant really statistically. It's not huge, but it's, you know, it's somewhat meaningful. Um, and that's been the same for like a hundred years. I wonder if it would Mm. change if you were looking at second marriages. Oh, mm. yeah, good point. I don't know how Because I feel like first marriages, yeah, okay, that kind of tracks. Like, right. you have slightly, you know, cultural, economic, reproductive factors that might add up to a couple of years. But I wonder if in second marriages or in later marriages, if that... And if men are just have more marriages yeah. on average. Mm. Yeah, mm. which um, would then go to also describe that later statistic about older women, only 40% of them being in relationships. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's really, uh, there's definitely like something there. Um, and I just wanted to do like a little side, side note about those statistics. Like when Pew released that research, it came out like, I think it was like 2022 research, but it was like resurfaced in February. They would just like put it out for Valentine's day Mm. and it really caught fire because like more conservative, folks saw that and took it as an example, not of like, this is like a static thing that's kind of always been the case, uh, but as a signal Mm -hmm. of like the erosion of the traditional way of life, that it's not because young men are always more likely to be single, but it's like now this is happening because of the collapse of 
the patriarchy or like masculinity and we just have all these lonely young men who don't have relationships because they're being rejected by these more empowered women being rejected by more empowered women uh they're women who are intolerant of masculinity <laughs> of masculinity or like the people connected it to like the prevalence of pornography I see. um the young men are just you know staying home looking at porn not having actual relationships um uh, this is why like these that. kinds of statistics are frustrating when you don't layer in class race and other mm. factors because you're like god it could just mean so many things like right. it could also mean that because of the tech boom you know, men in that particular age range are moving from city to city yeah. to snap up jobs that are paying two hundred and fifty thousand well, dollars a year and not getting married. And the truth, I mean, the you truth know? is, it's all of those things, right. and you can just latch on to whatever you want to. Um, I mean, and the, another thing was just like well, women are just dating other women, and that's why they say more <laughs> women are in relationships than men. Because the gay agenda um. has like allowed women to <laughs> reject men and traditional masculinity and just be, which again is this gay. kind of um, erasure of women's queerness because it's like obviously yeah. gay men would also be dating other men and that would impact the statistics. But they're like women are rejecting masculinity and choosing to be gay. It's like no, mm -hmm. that's okay. All right, yeah. mm -hmm. all right, guys. Calm down. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So there's a lot. You, you, you can bring a lot to the table of these statistics. I think what we want to bring is, come on, men date younger women, women date older men. That's a, a, a trend that has been so for a long time. Right. And, and we know it, and it's culturally influential. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would just like to say about those statistics is I'm guessing none of those conservative uh, articles about them were like super concerned about the older women who weren't in relationships. Mm -hmm. No, they did not mention them whatsoever. Oh, they didn't? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't like, and we're also really concerned about these women over 50 and 60 who are not in, uh, in traditional marriages anymore. I think the general tone was more like women, you should really suck it up and date obnoxious men in their twenties who you don't like for the good of society as a whole. As though we weren't doing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so let's talk about how this shows up in non-monogamy, or if it does. I would posit broadly that it's pretty much no different in non-monogamy. Agreed. Um, there are probably some nuances, but uh, yeah, it's not. It's it's roughly the same. And I think like in our dating experience over the last few years. I have definitely mostly dated people who are younger than me, women who are younger than me to some extent. I don't know if I've ever dated somebody who is older than me. Definitely like people who are like the same age, but. More, and, most commonly, what would you say is like the age of person you most commonly date? I mean, we live right by a high school. Oh so my it's God. Just like, oh, Alex, no. oh my God. Not funny. <laughs> no, we're not doing no. statutory rape jokes on no. the podcast. Yes? Oh, okay. Uh, so, no, uh, the most common age, well, I, I mean, it's been three years that we've been dating. So, uh, I would say like seven years younger than me is probably the most common. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say I have mostly dated people that were within two years of my age in either direction. Mm -hmm. One thing that I have to kind of further prove our point about how it's seen as unusual for younger men to date older women, I did, uh, I did date a man who was 34, and he was really into the kink community. Um, and 
talked at one point about our relationship being an expression of his kink for older women. And I was genuinely like baffled for a moment because uh-huh. I was like, what? I'm like, what? <laughs> and he was, at the time, you were 40, 40. and he was 34, so you, you were six years older than Yes, yeah. exactly. And it's not like you would be like, because the women I date are typically seven years younger than me, I'm expressing a kink. Right. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. That's not a no, kink. No, I would not. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sorry, that's a kink? I was uh, I was wow. not super happy with that I bet. conversation. Uh, I did not love that conversation. Yeah. Not my favorite. Mm-mm. Well, this stuff is uncomfortable. Like, I feel like, I mean, now I want to, like, revive. I'm like, maybe it was actually only, like, five or six years average. <laughs> like, there's a lot there. I there's feel, there, like, yeah. gross about it. Uh, Me too. Like, I don't feel like the relationships themselves are gross. But if I, like, to, to like calculate the average or whatever and like say that I feel like it's a little bit like cringe like why am I dating well let's younger women I want to answer try and answer that question and also the mini wise here but Mm -hmm. before we do that I do think it's worth saying like this is all fucking cringe like nobody nobody non-monogamy is just cringe come on first of all first of all uh, the SNL sketch really uh, really drove that home I did not need to watch that right before we got on to do this one as I was saying if you thought non-monogamy was going to save you from cliches you got in the wrong fucking game Mm -hmm. hopefully it helps you have a little bit more of a sense of humor about it but um no, it's all pretty embarrassing and hard to talk about, and we don't like talking about it. And there's a reason why, of all of the anecdotes that I've told you about my dating over the course of the past three years, I never told you that one yeah. about the guy who said that it was an expression of his kink to date me yeah. because I was six years older than him. Yeah. Like, you know? Yes. So you have dated younger people, though. That guy. That guy. Well, you did go on that one date with the guy. That was by accident. That <laughs> was 36, <laughs> and he was actually 26. Yep. Yep, I just misunderstood his age, and then he... You misunderstood his age. I like the idea, what if I I went on a date with a 26-year-old, and then I came back, and I was like, oh, I misunderstood her age. I don't know, Sarah. You would be like, bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Well, and a lot of people did call bullshit on that, and I... Honestly, if it was some sort of like subconscious desire to see what that was like, I definitely found out, Mm -hmm. which is... (laughs) I was telling a story about probably living in New York in September 11th. And then it was revealed that that person was a toddler when that happened. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. That, and <laughs> wow. I think let's oh, stop God. here and talk about why it does matter. And we need to, I want to be careful about like, like, I think you were right to, to mention before we got on that, like, the point is not to like drag younger people. No. I, it's just like, I think mostly you see it. It's a different life phase yes and or collection of experiences collection of experiences yes. and the most important one is 9-11 Obviously. And I usually measure <laughs> where if you were not in middle school when 9-11 never forget, happened never forget then you're too young for me yes because if you were not at least in middle at school at least in, I feel like it's, if you're a, ch- a mm. full-on child who is not gonna see 9-11 and be like like you know feel like implicated in it in some way that is like, am I going to go to war? Is this like, if that didn't define your adulthood in some way, Mm. I feel like that's just a totally different experience. Yeah. And that you're using that example because it's an obvious, it's a poignant dramatic example. It's not the only one, obviously. Yeah. No, Um, I don't have any interest in like, I mean, I was 26. I was 32. I've been all of these ages. There's no oh, yeah. age. Like, <laughs> right. Not where, when 9-11 happened. You no. were 19 or 20, right? Yes. I was yeah. 
felt like a big yeah. deal. Uh, but my point is, there's no age where it's just like, what an yeah. insufferable age, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, it's more just that, like, the distance yeah. of life that you've lived yeah. and the collection of experiences and those specific constellations of experiences really matter to me, particularly when it comes to feeling seen and understood. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying that, like, everybody has to feel that way. They have to feel like they're seeking to be seen and understood in a specific way for their right. romantic and sexual connections to be valid. But I am saying that it is very important for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have found myself thinking about that a lot lately, just like realizing that you just always have this kind of, for me anyways, I have had this window that moves with me where like people who are five years younger than me or five years older than me, it's like I can really understand the nuance of everything. Their cultural references and the way they dress and just like the kind of job they have, whatever. It's like I get it. And as soon as they're more than five years younger or five years older, it's kind of just like, oh, you're young, you're old. Like it blurs a little bit, Mm -hmm. just sort of like how much I can understand. And I think like just coming back to like an experience I had as a much younger person when I was like 18, I'm going to use the term dated, but I feel like it's a loose (laughs) sort of description of what happened. But I was in a relationship with a man who was 30 years old and like, I thought it was so cool at the time. It was like such a thrill that this older man was interested in me. He was like a real ass grown up who was a doctor and stuff like that. Um, And I, you know, I thought it was just so great. But then I remember like getting older and being 30 myself 12 years later and being like, just like, it was so hard to fathom what it would be like to date an 18 year old when you're 30. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, it's just like really hard to wrap my head around. It's like a, you were also teaching college at that age, which is kind of an interesting... Right. At age 30. In at emphasis age, yeah, when I was 30, You were 30 yeah. and you were teaching people who were 18. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that right. is actually a different... Another Yikes. reference for me when it comes to age is like when I can imagine it being somebody who would have been my student because I started teaching, you know, or somebody who like is the age that the students we had when we started teaching mm-hmm. are now that's when it starts to seem too young. Hmm. If that makes sense. I think so. And that was like, again, like an eight, mm-hmm. nine, ten year gap. But yeah. Well, and now to me, like we all started teaching when we were like basically 30 mm-hmm. or even, yeah, 30. And then our students were like in their early 20s. And it's funny how, what, what is my point? I don't know. It's not, Now I'm like, that's like the same age, basically. <laughs> oh, you think 20 and 30 seems like the same age? <laughs> not 20, but I think like, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I don't know, twenty five mm. to thirty. We, you know, we just like weren't that. We felt very different than yeah. than them, yeah. and we also. I just can see now, like I have a much different perspective on like how yeah. much older than them we really were, which was not very much. Yeah, it you is- know, and I think about the older faculty and how annoyed they were at us sometimes oh, God, for yeah. being right. essentially. They saw us definitely as essentially the same age as the students, right. and they didn't like that. And I was always F-bombing in the faculty meetings and mm. getting in trouble. I'm a big fan of F-bombing yeah, in faculty, faculty meetings. meetings. I, I, and now look at me. I'm the age that those older faculty were, and I am still saying fuck all the yeah. time when I yeah. see. So, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think what we're getting at is this is really complex because age is relative. And mm. our view of it changes over time. And also there are some like fixed statistical truths mm-hmm. about it too that we're trying to engage with as well. And it's tough. And then there's power. 
And, and like, I think when you describe that, Jessica, like thinking about how you felt when you were 18, you might not have been aware of the power that a 30 year old had over you until you got to be 30. And I like, I remember this with a roommate we had when we lived in New York and we were in our early twenties, we had a roommate who was like 31. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was like, he's so old, this is crazy. But what I didn't realize until I got to be like 31 is how differently that would have felt as a 31 year old living with a bunch of you know, 23 year olds or whatever. And like the extra power that you would have over them mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. of your age and life experience. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it's the same thing showing up with students. Obviously there's an institutional power there, but right. it's like, there's like also a passive cultural power. Yeah. Uh, this stuff is so complicated. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. And I think like we probably want to take a mm -hmm. bathroom break here in a second. But it is worth layering in here, Alex, that I had the casual observation here recently that many of our friends, especially like parent friends, are actually in their early mid-30s. Yeah. We have a lot less friends mm -hmm. who are exactly our age. Yes. Is it because we're just so youthful? Well, that's certainly cool. what I would like to think. <laughs> um, okay, so we're back. Are we going to talk about Magic Mike 3 or what? <laughs> we better. Yeah. <laughs> we better because I feel like that was your entire motivation for doing this podcast. Um, so you want to talk about I Magic just want to say that that was not a, a good movie in terms of like knowing how to competently put together a movie that makes sense. But, but. thematically, <laughs> it was a masterpiece and yes. had a lot of amazing... Uh, yeah, there was a lot of amazing stuff there relative to this, namely representation of an older woman dating a younger man. Because like, Selma Hayek is 16 years older than Channing Tatum. Yes. Which is... Which is the normal older man, younger woman age gap. For the Bond girls. For the Bond girls, but right. it was a really big deal in mm -hmm. this movie. Yeah. yeah. So what, what did you find masterful in that <laughs> representation? No, it just gave us a lot to... There was a lot to think about there in like how big, much bigger of a deal it feels. And then like, obviously like, you know, the premise of those movies is like, he's a, you know, he's like a stripper. It's like ideal, objectified male mm -hmm. masculinity when typically we have like objectified femininity. And I think that's why those movies are like interesting and sort of like a cult, cult classics or whatever, because, uh, cause that's, it's just weird to play with that. We're not like used to, you know, a woman, an older woman objectifying a younger man. Flipping the script. And, and being like, you know, she's his like patron and she's like, you should express yourself. Yep. Here's my money. <laughs> express yourself. You're brilliant. Yeah. It was interesting to me because obviously all of those themes were there, but they were never really directly addressed. Except for in mm -hmm. one scene, which I tried to find online, but I couldn't find where her soon to be ex-husband who has had an affair with the assistant, who I believe like we're to understand was... 20 years younger than him um, says that she's being stupid and careless and desperate by dating a man who was younger than her and that there would be no way that he was actually attracted to her. Um, so that really, that scene really yeah. stuck with me, I think because of like um, how the double standard was just like absolutely glaringly present. And it also made me think about how, truly pervasive it is and that like older women it's i feel like it's not just older women dating younger men but older women like exist <laughs> existing or like having a sexuality is subject of mockery right. as well and then that we were talking about the 
Jennifer Coolidge character in White Lotus that has sort of like achieved this like cult status. I think partly because of that, because she's like an extreme character caricature of this cultural phenomenon. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she is also presented as a very tragic figure. Mm -hmm. I mean, and uh, spoiler things don't end well for her in that season. Um, and so, (laughs) so I think like, that's interesting too, that like she, I think she's such a wonderful example of playing with this stereotype because she's taken it over the top and around the back so Mm -hmm. that we can actually like be on her side Mm -hmm. in a way that we're not usually asked to be. Right. I think when it comes to But then it's almost like, it's almost like she's in drag. Yeah. That's a really, I, I was actually trying to make that argument at a queer drag event, and I feel like I was not getting a lot of traction. <laughs> this idea hmm. that Jennifer Coolidge is in a kind of drag in the way that she is like representing femininity. Mm-hmm. I, I do really, uh, someone smarter than me and with more sort of knowledge about the history of drag and its iterations, I would love to hear someone talk about that because I think there's something to it for sure. Okay, so we got, yeah. is that enough on yeah, Magic that, Mike? That's three? probably enough. <laughs> Just go see it. Just. <laughs> <laughs> Come to my back-to-back-to-back screenings of Magic Mike 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> uh, yeah, and one of the things we promised to talk about before the break was this idea of, like, okay, but what is the why? Like, we're talking about um, the big-picture cultural representations of age gaps one mm-hmm. way or the other, the yeah. double standard that exists there, the pervasiveness of it when it comes to younger women, older men. And then we kind of slid past... How this shows up in our dating lives and maybe why. Yeah. Well, and so like, just to, to do the, (laughs) everybody's favorite thing. Well, back in the caveman days, um, (laughs) there is like a, there's a, there's a fundamental why there around like biology and reproduction. And I guess like the way that like that is mapped to most human societies, right? Where. Uh, let me just say the thing before you tell me why it's not true. <laughs> you should have seen Sarah's face. It's um, uh, it Hold back. Hold. Hold. Um, that me- men's reproductive viability is less in, you know, much longer and women's is shorter, right? Women can only have children up until their mid forties or something like that. Um, But yeah, like it's definitely the window mm -hmm. is much shorter. And then for whether it's related to that or not in a patriarchal society, men are the holders of economic power. So like you were saying, men's economic power continues to grow. Mm -hmm. And if that's the source of their power, it continues to grow as they get older to a certain point and women's reproductive power, if that's the main source of their power or value, uh, you know, doesn't continue beyond a certain point. Yeah. And that, I think, you know, I don't want to jump in and just be like, you're wrong. Cause you're not wrong. Like, let's be honest. That's the way that our society has yeah. kind of placed the crudest values on. Well, the I'm a 42 year old man. So you better not tell me I'm wrong. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Is it even possible for me to be wrong? I don't think so. <laughs> no. Um, and, and so like in the crudest, you know, expression of the gender binary and how we assign value. That is absolutely correct. I, I would want to get in there and quibble with the inevitability of yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Um, because... Quibble away. <laughs> I think that that presumes that sex is only ever really justified or valuable socially, individually, culturally, because of its reproductive potential. 
Mm. Yeah. And I think that is in. And that's not why we're having sex. No. Yeah. And I also think it's inherently a. Uh, it's a very like religious, patriarchal, problematic view of sex that is really like essentially uh, we limit the reasons for having sex to that because we're trying to control the kind yeah. of sex that people are having, right? And it also completely erases queer sex. Yeah. Well, and and for the in the non-monogamous context, we're supposed to be transcending all of that stuff. So why is it still there. showing up? Like we're not supposed to be doing non-monogamy in order to procreate. We're supposed to be like super duper free and we're um, you know, destroying all of these societal norms that have imprisoned us right. since the caveman days. Well, actually, just to get back in there, I this is in defense of the cavemen. <laughs> oh, finally. I, I don't actually think that we can say that this has been the case since the cavemen. Yes, I think we can right. say this has you're been right. the case since yeah. the, the rise of institutionalized religion and uh, capitalism yeah. and the sort of like kinship land ownership laws. Sylvia Federici, yada, yada, yada. It, though she is also problematic from a trans perspective, but... <laughs> <laughs> Am I done? Nope. No. <laughs> um, but, you, but your so point stands. I want to use. I want. Yeah. yeah. So I want to answer the why with your uh, on the meta level with your constant barrage of qualifications of the things that I say uh, to say that one of the whys I think is that older women, if they're powerful and actualized. Might not want to put up with younger men's bullshit. I think there is something to that. And I think like we can't have this conversation without engaging with that very real element, which mm-hmm. I experience. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm 43 years old. I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and a husband and a career and a podcast and a pile of laundry on the couch that is <laughs> embarrassingly high, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, all the other things, my car is broken down, it's my friend's birthday, I forgot to get them, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I am at a point in my life where my responsibilities are just really intense. And so my motivation for having a relationship with a man, especially one that's going to like follow really kind of similar scripts that I've experienced a lot of times before, um, especially like between cis men and women is maybe not, not that high. Yeah. I'm just sort of like, well, I mean, there's some things that are interesting there, but is it that much more interesting than all of these other things that I've chosen to do or that I have to do or that, um, I have yet to explore. Yeah, and I think I've experienced that in the dating that I've done as well. I don't think the reason there are many reasons of that like younger age average that I was talking about, but uh, it's not like I haven't gone on a lot of dates with and could sort of like started relationships with people who are closer to my age, but they tend to be in the position that you were just describing. And so like the sort of energy that they bring their interest in like pursuing what starts to feel like more of a actual relationship uh, is usually lower. And they're usually like, I'm fucking busy, right? Like, whereas a woman in her, like, you know, early or mid-30s might have a little bit less of that. Uh, those, like, those layers of, like, obligation and just, like, kind of being, like, I mean, the, obviously there's, like, whether people are have primary partners and stuff like that makes a big difference right. as well. But, like, even for people who do, I think there's just, like, 
a little bit of a different vibe that somebody maybe maybe their perception of the value the, of my value is different. Yeah, it's this gets hard to parse out without sounding like dismissive of people at all phases of life. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it's no accident. You haven't really had many ongoing serious relationships with women who were mothers. Yeah. I have like more like, you know, more, more comedy, really <laughs> not comedy, but comet like relationships. They're not traveling, but people who I've like seen on an ongoing basis, but like very rarely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That tends to be where those relationships go. Yes. And I yeah. would say that tends to describe my style of relationships in general. Right. I tend to just have like a handful of folks who I see pretty rarely um, and they are like meaningful to me and I care about them, but we are not on relationship escalators and we are not like seeing each other more than once a month probably. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's hard to know how much of that is relevant to the kinds of gender and power dynamics we're talking about here. How much of that is specifically about who you and I are. Um, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. So, you know, we've been talking about how power shows up here and, you know, trying to parse out, you know, why does, why do our dating patterns with age look so different? Um, And I think, like, if I'm really just trying to access the burning, vulnerable question that I have around this, it's, hmm, as a man and, like, as, like, a tall, handsome white man at 42, you know, with some economic power, your ability to like have a lot of power in relationships with women who are in their early thirties and maybe enjoy that power feels really different than mine. Like even if I were dating men who were 34 years old, I don't really feel like I would be expressing that power or like, the dynamic would be about that in a way that would be the same. And so I just kind of feel like there's maybe something fundamental here to explore about like maybe some of my feelings about missing out on what Mm -hmm. that might feel like. And um, some feelings about whether or not there's anything wrong with it. If that is part of what's going on. Yeah. I think it, I mean, it's worth acknowledging it. For sure. Um, and I think there's, uh, like, we know that that, that exists. Um, and I think that's related to those warnings that you were getting, right? And, like, the, the sort of boogeyman, the darkness on the edge of town, is that your husband is going to leave you for a younger woman. Because right. he can. And many, many people have predicted that from right. the moment we started non-monogamy. Yeah, and probably before that. Yes, they were predicting <laughs> from that the moment that. that we you had children. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's like always a thing that's there, and I think it's there because of that power imbalance. Um, it's like weird to think about the the like definition of. What, I'm trying to think of the exact words that you just said. Like, it's not that I'm exerting power in those relationships necessarily, but like the power I have, I'm expressing the power by being able to be in a relationship with a younger woman who is like sort of maybe inherently more powerful 
in the like, you know, youth is valued for women way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're sort of like left out of that in some way. Right. Or you That's can't not, do that. That same dynamic thing. is not accessible to me. Right. Because of who I am and the way the culture yeah. around me functions. And because I am inherently less valuable than you mm-hmm. in the eyes of that culture. Um, and that like, you know, I can feel myself like getting emotional as we talk about this because that like accumulation of all of those warnings that I would be left and all of the times like as a young woman I was told that you know this was my time to kind of access those things if I was going to try all of that adds up to one big lifelong message that I am not as valuable as a man and that I always have to be navigating that truth in all of the decisions that I make. Um, yeah. And it's really painful. And so, you know, when you describe dynamics with younger women, you're not, it's just so different. Like, you know, you get to just benefit from those feelings of power and value, whether or not you're doing it actively. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel painful in the same way to me. It feels like I described it as feeling like sort of cringy, but it's like being seen to have that power and be exploiting it feel, if you're aware of it, feels, you know, maybe embarrassing, but it's not the same thing as it feeling. Negating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or dangerous. Um. And so I think like that gets to the heart of what can be very painful here. Um, even as we try and like hold on to yeah. the agency and complexity of all people in relationships and the choices they make. Yeah. It's also crazy that all those messages are like perpetuating the, the very sort of like uh, systems or setups that we've been talking about this whole time. Like if you're told as a younger woman, this is when you have your power, use that power to, you know, or use, use your sexuality or your youth to access power. As How do you do that? By fucking an older man. Yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It's just kind of like wild that all of that is, it's like, if you, if you say it like that, it sounds pretty like pathological and predatory. Yeah. I don't think those are incorrect words. Um, Yeah. Any thoughts from you from the Jessica corner here? (laughs) Any thoughts on the patriarchy? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just uh, privilege is just, it's always so interesting to sort of like unpack and examine this way. And I think the way you were just describing it was making me think about the experience of traveling to poor countries as a white American um, who I here I'm not like rich or anything. Right. And then I have had a lot of experiences when traveling, when I've been read as wealthy or fancy, like in a way that doesn't align with like my class, the way I identify class wise here. And it's, I don't know. So it was making me think about the way that you were talking about sort of receiving that power, Alex. Mm-hmm. You can feel it's like, like it's that, yeah. passive. You're like, I am just, I didn't, you know, I am sort of yeah. just like passively receiving these benefits. And so how accountable to them am I expected to be? How bad about it am I expected right. to feel? Is it my yeah. job to fix it? Yeah. Well, and then right. is it my job to fix it or should I be different question is, I think that's like kind of the crucial one because there is the like acknowledgement part, um, which can be easy in the abstract, but 
it's hard when you're talking about an actual relationship. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in our actual relationship, this is like a a different experience that we have that like makes us further apart. And if we want to be like close to each other in our relationship, every time like this comes up for you or you talk about it, you know, what it, sh- it should be that I can like hear you and acknowledge those feelings and like feel empathetic, but it's also like I'm, I'm implicated in it. Um, and it's like, you know, it's not something that we have in common. It's something that we have that's dif- different. Um, and yeah. that's hard. It is hard. And I think that's part of what scares me about it. If we're talking about like our relationship and interpersonally between the two of us, because as I look out on that potential future of non-monogamy that will span this period of life where you're having that different experience and I'm having this different experience, is there a way that we can stay close to each other, even though those experiences will be really different? Um, or is there some inevitability that we will move away from each other? And I think, you know, that's part of what scares me about it. Yeah. I think the answer is probably threesomes. <laughs> that's your answer to everything, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding, not kidding. Um, it is, yeah, that's probably <laughs> too much of a But it is interesting, like, when we've had relationships with other women um, that we're like, you know, could both like owning our, our age privilege kind of in, we can like do that together more. Yes. Well, so I think like getting into back into the feelings as we kind of like find our way through this. Hmm. Do we think that there's something that needs to be done? Does this need to change or is it just how we engage with it? that we want to be able to change. What do you think? Yeah. Good question. I think on the one hand, like things that are symptomatic of inequities, uh, it's hard to ask people to act differently around those especially when it's in reference to like individual relationships Mm -hmm. and behaviors and behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe just because it's like sort of unrealistic, but then when you look at like the trend for, you know, a person or for society as a whole, then you can start to see how like maybe this is problematic. So I guess like, that's not really an answer, but maybe the answer is that I have is something related to like, the acknowledgement and holding of the, um, the inequity, uh, you know, in, in sort of service to the less privileged person is a good place to start at least. Yes. I think you're onto something. I think we're talking about not necessarily thinking that through our individual choices in relationships, we can change these larger systemic problems. But we are talking about how we are transparent and accountable to our privilege could change. Or like, let me give a, uh, to give like an exaggerated specific example. If I really wanted to date 28 year old women, and that's what my burning hearts desire told me that I wanted to do me not doing that, like as some kind of favor to you is not going to be that constructive probably 
it's more, it would be more about me interrogating, like, why did I want to do that? What was like, I, what was I getting out of that? And how could that possibly be like an expression of, you know, or an exertion of power and privilege? And like, so it wouldn't be like the rule that would make anything better. It would be the self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like this gets pretty, um, hmm. it can get kind of abstract, but I actually don't think it's as abstract as we think that privilege and benefiting from privilege, one of the ways that we can really like successfully engage with that is by trying to uncouple the idea of our goodness right. from the privilege. Because I think one of the things that actually keeps people apart is that when privilege is pointed out or the pain or harm that privilege that you have imposes on people who have less of that privilege, when the reaction is, you're calling me bad, you're saying I'm a bad person, I feel ashamed, I can't deal with this, I'm shutting down, you are actually really doing the most harm there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what you're saying is, I want that privilege... I want to experience it, and I also don't want to be confronted with it, and I definitely don't want to be confronted with the pain it causes people who mm-hmm. don't have it. Yeah. And so it's just like this massive distancing, and it's like I think um, what we are taught to do when it comes to privilege, I know that I certainly have struggled with this personally with white privilege, and like I understand that it's going to be a lifetime of trying to practice holding that privilege and the harm that it causes in the world, and the harm that it has caused in interpersonal relationships that really matter to me, holding it, understanding that that is not a reflection on my like moral goodness or like inherent goodness, um, so that I can then be present to the true impacts of it mm-hmm. for BIPOC people. I mean, I think that's like the only way that I can actually be in meaningful, close relationship yeah. with BIPOC people. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's a really good, it's a useful parallel to draw. Um, and I agree with everything you said. And, and <laughs> believe it or not, as hard as like, you know, acknowledging and like uh, holding and sort of accepting white privilege in a way that is not, you know, kind of like, is not asking people of color to like help you feel better about it or something like that. Doing all of that, like gracefully and sort of productively uh, is hard enough. And I think it's maybe even harder in this case because you're also having interpersonal relationships like, you know, uh, that are deeper, like romantic relationships are inherently like I can have a black friend or a black neighbor or something like that. And our relationship is not as deep as you and I's relationship. Um, so it makes it even harder to like navigate those inequities in a, you know, between men and women in a relationship. Because you're saying you're confronted by the harm that privilege causes yeah. in a way that feels more intimate and ever present. Yeah. And you're trying to like be in love with that person. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not like, I don't mean to like erase, you know, uh, multiracial relationships or something like that. Like, yeah, pro- probably double, double that stuff is going on, but. And I um, think it is. And like, as we think about this as a series, um, I also have been doing some learning in that department with, with dating mm-hmm. BIPOC people. Yeah. Um, and really having to think about some of these dynamics 
in that space. And I know that like we don't want to compare gender privilege and and white privilege in exactly the same way, but no. I think it can be helpful as we examine like how are we accountable and how do we actually try and be in intimate relationship with people across these kinds of privilege differences and, mm-hmm. and gaps. Okay. How do you feel right now? Um, okay. Not great. I'm glad we did this episode. Oh, we're not done yet. <laughs> and that just about wraps it up. Go take a nap. He's trying to open the window and crawl out, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's hard stuff to think about and, like, actually engage with. And, yeah. And, like, I, you know, I I guess, like, to maybe more honestly answer your question, like, when we've talked about this stuff in the past, it can get really hard for me, um, you know, when it starts to feel like, not like we're recording a podcast, but, like, we're having a conflict that is, you know, is kind of rooted in this. And I'm sure that, like, a lot of people are. Right. A lot of like men and women in non-monogamous relationships or not are like feeling that. Um, And it can it can feel like really hard for all those reasons that we were just talking about. That like, I guess, from my side, hard for me to um, hear you talk about something that you're experiencing uh, that is unfair um, and kind of my fault. Or uh, your, like, oppression at the hands of patriarchy and at the hands of systems that benefit me. I'm being hurt by something that benefits you. Yeah, exactly. And that's happening on the micro and the macro. Yeah. And non-monogamy has a way of really holding a mirror up to that. Yeah. um, And making it pretty hard to ignore, even on the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel? How does like this conversation make you feel? Uh, embarrassed and ashamed and afraid. I hate it. I feel like really weak and um, exposed and like people will know that I have a hard time like accessing a sense of self-worth around mm-hmm. this. Um, and uh, and I think doubly fearful at the thought that if I express that you will feel guilty and turn away from me. So it feels like a really impossible position where what I'm actually being asked to do is to orient properly to an oppressive system that is telling me that I am not as valuable. Yeah. So you're saying like, sort of like pretend that it's not happening or don't talk about yeah. that you can feel Stay quiet. Happening. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because the option of expressing any of this, this is like very, it feels very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so you, and you feel ashamed also when you're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Or when you, when you are talking about it. Yeah. You feel shame to admit that it's affecting you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is maybe like about how you're. Uh, acknowledging your lack of power and it's easier to like pretend somehow that you have it or you don't right. perceive it. And I find that when it. I talk to men and women about this, when I like get up the courage to do so, mostly they just argue with me. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll just be like, but 
you have this going for you and this going right. for you and this mm-hmm. going for you. And I'm like, I understand that all of those things are true. I also understand that I have a lot of privilege. That doesn't mean that this isn't also happening. And being constantly told in one way, shape, or form that I should not be talking about it or acknowledging it makes it far worse. Mm-hmm. And it makes it seem far more powerful, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I think that's, like, uh, yeah. It's, it's like, you don't, you're experiencing it so much more. Yes. So, of course, you want to be talking about it more. Uh, and then, you know, I'm experiencing it less or not at all. So, it's, like, not obvious to me. Um, and so, like, that discomfort that you're feeling um you know i want to be there for it but i'm not gonna like suggest like hey let's talk about you know your lack of privilege in this realm would you say you do actually want to be there for it uh that's a great question do i want to be there for it no i want it to like not exist at all (laughs) But also it does. And like, you know, I mean, that's like a a sort of weird abstract question of like, I guess, to be honest, if I could wave a magic wand and erase all of my gender privilege, uh, I probably wouldn't. If you could wave a magic wand and have the gender privilege that I have. Absolutely. You probably would. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. So are you guys saying we're not going to fix the patriarchy today in this podcast episode? Uh, Well, I mean, we're at the last bullet point where it says ways to fix the patriarchy. (laughs) I'm just stumped. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just stumped. I really thought we were going to get there today. I know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think like maybe in exploring this idea of like mistakes were made, we might get to some approaches that feel like a little less stuck and a little more connected. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just want to acknowledge that there's a reason people don't talk about this stuff and we don't have a lot of modeling of how to talk about it. And so, yeah, there's a reason everybody stopped listening to this episode of the podcast. (laughs) Right. Totally. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. but I mean, I think making it visible and talking about it this way is so powerful. It's like the only possible first step to sort of undoing the patriarchy is to acknowledge that it exists and see the ways that it's playing out in our yeah. lives. And harming people and we love and harming, ourselves. Yes, exactly. And understanding that that's not the fault of an individual person. I mean, you talked about this already, but just to like come back to it again, though, like, separation of I'm a bad person from like I live in this extreme yeah I'm benefiting from a bad system yeah exactly this is not at all in the interest of like wrapping this up but like (laughs) we gave up on that a long time ago (laughs) but the answer I just gave is like I was trying to be really honest and I don't want yeah like can you erase the patriarchy if you know you can't erase it. You can dismantle it. You but can that's dismantle work. it. You don't but you ever see the. You can't end of. dismantle yeah. the. You know, the master's house with the master's tools, right? Like, uh, 
like I guess I guess I would have to see the the benefit and the, maybe the reason why I, I, I'm rethinking that answer is that it it has to be more beneficial to me for there to be like more equity around these things, equality around these things than, uh, than the benefits that I have. Right. May I make a suggestion in that department? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I think that all of these systems, when you benefit from them, they do actually distance you from your own humanity Mm -hmm. and from connection with other people. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, if in the microcosmic sense, our ability to be connected to each other is interrupted in really distressing ways because of this inequity, right? Yeah. It's being repeated across all of your relationships with women. And right. if you really desire feeling connected to people, to women, that is a motivation in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like our own humanity is so compromised. Yeah. Like the idea yeah. that we would have to think about our own existence in a zero-sum rubric where someone is losing for us to win is actually a cruel way of thinking about your own life and existence, even if you're the one who's winning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's easier to see that, I think, in for me to see that in terms of, like, economics or maybe in terms of, like, race uh, than it is in terms of gender, again, because of the, like... Like, it's so fucking deep Mm -hmm. that, like, you know our all of our like sexuality and you know all of our socialization and like our relationships with our parents like all of that stuff is informed by these dynamics and so it's like they are a part of ourselves in some ways it feels really uh intrinsic yeah right? and there are parts yeah. of it that and are like, and, and intimate. knowing and yeah. intimate um i think you know going back to the what would I, what am I asking, what, or what am I needing you to understand? Mm-hmm. To kind of restate that in a way that's maybe clearer is this is going to be hard. It's going to continue to be hard. And my hope is that your desire to be connected with me and the love that we have for each other is strong enough that you won't turn away from it being hard uh, because it makes you feel bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. That is like really clear and I love it. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> See, we did get somewhere. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I guess you asked me that same question and um, I think for me it's that I see your value and that, you know, all of this is for me, like a really, a really small part of, of that. And like what you're experiencing is real and I can see how it's real. Um, but I can see that and not understand it necessarily, but like care to understand it. Um, while also like really loving you and believing that you're valuable and are going to continue to be forever. Thank you. 
Aww. <laughs> but that's not worth shit also. I understand that too. Yeah. Yikes. We knew this was going to be... Yeah. We've really got a, a, done a run of them. Mm. Yeah. Why don't you just stop that's... Desire and this one? It's just like I am drenched with sweat at the end of yeah. every single episode. Yeah. I feel like I've run an emotional marathon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next time, let's just talk about sex parties. Okay, guys? Yeah. Someday. Sex parties. How to host a, gr- a great sex party. Yeah, maybe a far... Informed by racism, trauma, and gender <laughs> If that threesome thruple idea had just worked out, we could be talking about that this week. Uh Damn it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jess, anything else you want to mention here? And also, do we feel like we want to talk about the mistakes we made before (laughs) we... Anything you want us to know, Jess? Well, I mean, I think... I don't know if this is... You tell me how you feel about this. You know, we all have been friends for a really long time. And it occurs to me that, like... I think the two of you have been having a version of this conversation for literally 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and this commentary on the length of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, since the late nineties, yeah. um, you know, and I think that that speaks to like a lot of things. Like one is just like how challenging and complicated this is to figure out and to sort out, especially within hetero relationships, you know, relationships between men and women. Um, you know, but I also, I mean, I'm curious if you agree with my, with that, this fact that I've stated and, and like, does the conversation feel different now than it did then, you know, are we getting somewhere? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But we're also getting old. <laughs> we're I think we'll figure time. it out before we're dead. But I just got, barely. I got it. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I, yeah. I, yeah, go ahead. I, well, it was just what we were saying was just making me think about, and this is probably down through. 13 rabbit holes and twists and turns, but like the, the statistics that we were talking about up front, like, and all of the like quote unquote, like lonely single men who like are being oppressed by the gay agenda or whatever. Like this is the fucking gay agenda is that it is uncomfortable to sit with this stuff. And the more that like women are aware that this is happening to them, the more, the higher the expectations for men are going to be. And it feels like shit to men. And it feels like shit to men. And, 20 something men are maybe not getting like, you know, I don't know whose, whose fault this is, but like maybe they're having a hard time, like being there. They're not like getting the support or education that they need or like being raised in a society that like allows them to be in relationship to women who are, uh, confronting and challenging their own oppression. Yeah. I think that's Mm. well said. Although, I feel like our kids are more so than, you know, everybody in the early 2000s shit the fucking bed. (laughs) And now maybe it'll be better in. I hope so. 10 years or 20 years. Yeah. But the queer agenda does benefit us all. Let, let me yes. just state that for the official record. <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I yes. am a huge yeah. fan of we, the queer the yes, agenda, the, and I wish it the very best. Me too. I know it's going to make my life so much better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast officially brought to you by the gay agenda. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I feel the same way about, like, me, yeah. too. Yeah. And that's, like, where this work comes from, is, like, you know, you. that's why it's worth doing. 
Yeah. Even though it's hard. And I agree, Jessica, Alex, and I have been having some version of this conversation for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it is, when you place it in that context, it's pretty rewarding to think about uh, how that conversation has like deepened and it feels more meaningful and lived. And the context around us has changed, I think, in positive ways as well. And I also am personally just feeling proud at our absolute stubborn determination to stay in it. Yeah. Mm. I think there's a dark voice inside of people in straight relationships or maybe people in general that is saying, uh, you know, to men, women are just different and you'll never understand them and or there's something, you know, wrong with them and same probably the same thing for women, but that's slightly different. And like, you know. Yeah, that's like a, a, an easy message to receive if you want to receive it. And it, but it's, it sucks. And it keeps us apart. And it keeps us apart. And yeah. keeping us apart keeps the patriarchy firmly in place. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, that's like isolation and silence mm-hmm. is absolutely the way that you keep systems of oppression from being yeah. truly threatened. Yeah. When I think about the mistake that I made to use that mm. prompt here at the end, I realized that, you know, over the course of this past month, but maybe much longer than that, there's been a lot of me actually struggling with this alone and hoping mm. that I could just find a way to compartmentalize mm. it or make it go away or not make me feel so bad. Um, and I was able to talk to a couple of friends who, you know, people I really trusted. And when I reached out, the overwhelming message was, this is the kind of like pain and hurt that just like absolutely thrives in silence Mm -hmm. and taboo and shame. The more we can talk about it and the more we can see our experiences as connected here, the less power it has over us. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's where I would, where I would end. Yeah. (laughs) I think think for me in terms of like, I mean, there are certainly a lot of, a lot of mistake kind of stuff, but uh, especially thinking back to like early on in non-monogamy getting, buying into the sort of liberatory rhetoric of it too much and, and, and being like, this is a way to transcend all of these oppressive systems. And just by doing it, I'm going to be doing that. And then kind of ignoring the idea of like, well, who is actually getting liberated Hmm. in that? It's probably still me for men, especially men, my age, there's a lot of ways that it is more in service to, us and easier for us than it would be for our partners. Yeah. Yeah. That feels so much better. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, y'all. Good job, you guys. Uh, see you back here in 25 more years. Yep. See where we're done <laughs> with this conversation. Hold us to it. Nobody do the math on how old I might be oh, then. God. <laughs> All right. Well, Well, yeah, this has been Mistakes Were Made. Thank you for listening. Uh, If you enjoyed this conversation, then you're a a sick weirdo. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Tell tell your friends, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, um, and come back next week. Yeah, and send us your ideas about, you know, this theme of how inequity shows up in non-monogamy and how we can talk more about it so that it has less power over us. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye.